So thanks for letting me uh, come back and be with you all again. It's it's wonderful to be here, and of course, part of the part of the wonder of that is the way that you welcome George too. Um, I've come to use uh, a computer because of wind, outdoor services, right, and the wind. So so there's that. But um, let me get my password in here. <laughs> Good guess. Okay, there we go. It's not George. It's more complicated than that. So, you know, that's why I'm having so much trouble here in my old age and all. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, no, we feel so welcome, and I thank you. Um, George is pretty peaceful. Um, don't be surprised if he decides in between to get up. Many times he'll respond to the word Amen. He's just become a worshiping dog, a praying dog, you know, like he knows when the service is over and he's ready to leave, just like all of you. So um, so it's, it's a good thing. No, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. For those of you that have not met me, um, as Sherry mentioned, um, I'm, I serve the Western District of the Evangelical Free Church, which is Northern California, Northern Nevada. We have 55 churches. And so a lot of what I do is get out on the road and be with people like this. And it's just always so good to come to be with you. In fact, as much as I hope I can minister to you today, um, I am ministered to every time I am with you. You are a rich people, and I want to tell you why, because it's become so much a part of who you are that you may not even notice it anymore. But I'm not sure that we have another church in our district that has learned more creative ways of preaching the gospel to itself, like we just heard, than Cornerstone. There is a review and a, a, a creative expression, and a nuance, and a repetition of the gospel among you as you gather um, that is rich, and it has enriched you deeply inside of yourselves. And I'm so grateful for that, because there's never been a day in my lifetime, like, like now, where we need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves and have its, have it, its full impact in altering our perspective, because our perspective is being robbed, and I want you to be careful not to let your perspective be robbed, and you have the opportunity to do that. You see, we are living neck deep in the weeds. You heard the scripture read to you. This parable is so apropos for us on this day, um, in this season, I think. Here's what's interesting about being neck deep in the weeds. According to our parable, it's right where Jesus wants us. So right off the bat, right, we have to start changing our mind about how we pray, how we relate, how we connect with people or disconnect, how we view people, what our perspective is. If this is God's design that we remain as wheat, neck deep in the weeds, what does that mean for real life as we go on from this point? And I think it's very important. So neck deep in the weeds, right? And some weeds are 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 burning, literally, right? And then that's part of our, that's part of our weed um, um, way of life right now. Some weeds are the metaphorical type, right? Political weeds and COVID-19 weeds and the weeds of racial desperation and tension. We have weeds that are financially related. We have election weeds. And of course, just because of the events of this weekend now, we have Supreme Court weeds, and it's an incredibly complicated season. We have law and order weeds. And today we're examining a parable of Jesus in which a surprise direction is given to us from him for how to live in times such as these. For larger context now, 
I want you to understand kingdom teaching and allegory, okay? Just quickly, you've probably heard this before. Some scripture is more obvious in its intent, and the kingdom point is a, is a warning of eternal consequences for, for any who would reject the king, Jesus, and his way. Kingdom parables, in the kingdom, out of the kingdom. What are the consequences? How do you get in? Those kinds of things are why Jesus shared kingdom parables. Now, that's the larger context of all kingdom parables, of which this is one. For more immediate context, though, we have before us the formula, eyes to see and ears to hear. Did you notice? And, and as we look at that, many of the parables say that, and it's ironic in some ways. Only some possess the ability, having been given the gift, really, of understanding. We are implored to understand, and the ability to understand is at the same time evidence of our standing in the kingdom. As true kingdom servants, since those in the kingdom have been indwelt by the spirit of the king for guidance into the truth. Now, I have a living example of this formula. That which is clear and compelling to me is that to some of my friends in San Francisco, where Judy and I and George live, um, much of what we believe is confusing and, in fact, downright foolish. They simply do not have ears to hear. And I see it and live with it every day. One of my best friends just posted on Facebook, of course, about the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ginsburg. And so we approach one of the insightful, enlightening, darkening stories of Jesus, right? In Matthew 13, who is who? in each story is not as clear as we'd like it to be, probably. I believe Jesus was inviting people to be honest with themselves. He is doing the same today with us. Be honest with ourselves. Find yourself in the story, but be honest as you do. A side implication of the wheat and weeds is that it can be hard to tell who is who. We take for granted some of our identity as wheat, but there are other parables that speak of that as a warning as well. With the anger and energy of my so-called brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm seeing on social media, for example, it has been hard to tell some wheat from the weeds. That he told four seed, and I, by the way, count leaven as a seed parable as well, because it has the same kind of effect and illustrative purpose and so forth. These four seed parables in a row, I think, is significant here in Matthew 13. It invites us to both get the main point of them all, as well as to appreciate the unique, the unique point of each. So I don't want you to miss that. So as I read our parable, as we reflect on it again, we heard it read for us, um, surrounded by its context, and then its allegorical explanation, all of which is in Jesus' own words, by the way. See if you can pick out both the main thrust of the four and then the unique thrust of the one that we're going to examine today. So he opens up in Matthew 13, and he tells the parable of the, the sower and the soils. And, and you know, it's one of the famous ones, right? And then he speaks, beginning at verse 10, of the purpose of parables. And, and in answer to the question of the disciples, why do you speak this way? And, and some have been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, others have not, and so forth. And then, and then he returns back at verse 18 into the parable of the sower being explained, what it means, what it stands for, the four different kinds of soils, and the preached word to each of those soils, and the lack of productivity, and 75% of the seed planting. 
Um, and then finally we get up to verse 24, which then is, um, is where we find our parable, the parable of the weeds. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. Weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Well, then how does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. There's a lot here, and it'll be explained to us one for one, one for one, because this is an allegorical parable. He goes on from there at verse 31 into the mustard seed and then the leaven, and then we come to verse 34 where he speaks of this whole issue of, of opening my mouth in parables. I utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the, of the world, and here I'm giving it to you now, and then he explains the parable, starting at verse 36. Look for yourselves in your own Bible. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed. Now watch this, because here we go, right? Each stands for something else. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers... Are angels. Very specific stuff. Verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let them hear. Serious words here. The warning is clear, as explained by Jesus himself, right? There is an eternal kingdom, and great are the eternal consequences surrounding the eternal kingdom. Now, I'm going to assume those clear realities for my purpose today. And if you have any questions about those eternal things, ask Mike. <laughs> Now, let me point out again to you that true allegories are explained for us, right? So notice here that the sower equals the son of man. Just by way of review, the field equals the world. Good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Bad seed is the sons of the evil one. The enemy is the devil. The harvest is the end of this age, and the reapers are angels. Okay, we got that? All right. Now, the overall point of, the four, of all four parables in my own words, is simply this. God's kingdom is massive, but not all are citizens. Now, how about the unique contribution of each of the four? Here they are, and they link themselves together and prepare us to hear the message, the unique message of our parable, I think. The unique contribution of the sower and the soils is simply this. True faith takes root only in true brokenness. 
the unique contribution of the mustard seed. The invisible kingdom is big enough for everyone. The unique contribution of the leaven in the dough, truth and falsehood will have its inevitable effect. And the point of our story, the wheat in the weeds, we are to live well neck deep in the weeds. Now on purpose, right? By calling, it turns out the king of the kingdom has orchestrated that his kingdom servants and children would live their lives neck deep in the weeds. This has to alter the way that we pray because we do an awful lot of praying for relief. And just perhaps even this now today is by God's design in some unique and mysterious way. I've been reading and listening to the entire gospel of Matthew repeatedly, kind of in preparation for this day. And just because that's what I want to do in my life right now. And it's, 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 um, do you have an audio version of the Bible? How many of you have, have chosen to like do an audio version of the Bible? Okay. I, I just started that sort of recently and it has for me become something thoroughly rich and eye-opening and heart transforming. It's part of that ears to hear thing, I think, right? Um, because my eyes see, but my ears hear as well. Sometimes I want to hold the book in my hand, of course, and I want to read it for myself, but I've discovered that I hear with different ears, especially in this context, when Jesus delivered these words orally to these people, they didn't read it. All they could do is hear it to anyone who had ears to hear. I am, I'm encouraged today that my ears, I think my ears humbly, I think my ears are hearing, right? That's a good thing. So what Jesus said that seems to me to distinguish itself from the other three seed stories is simply this. These two kinds of seed are going to be growing up together. There's great implications for us in our real life right now today because of this. So in our story, when the farmhands went to the farmer asking, shall we go and cut out the weeds? There was an assumed answer to that question. They didn't as much go asking that question for the answer. They just pretty much went there assuming the answer and just needed the when. When should we go start cutting out the weeds, right? You want us to do it now, immediately, or should we start tomorrow? Or Because we need to cut out the weeds, right? We'll yank them up. We'll pull them out. The expected answer here is, yes, of course, out of Jesus' words, right? Jesus would say, yes, of course, we need to eliminate anything that would take away from the nourishment of our crops. Now, um, I know this from a very, from very practical level experience, okay? So I grew up in Southern California, but after graduating from high school, I went back to Nebraska, and I immediately got a job on a farm. And for the next two summers, I worked the farm between semesters at college. And it was an incredibly learning experience. This is back in 1975, 1976. <laughs> Sounds like ancient history, right? So, so I, I, worked these, I worked these farms, right? And I was, I was oftentimes given a large knife, really a machete, and I was told to walk the rows of corn or walk the rows of beans, soybeans. And anytime I came along, and it was rare, some kind of a plant that was not one of those things that were the crop, were that, that to be harvested later on, I was to hack it out. And of course I was. It was stealing nutrients. It was stealing water. It was stealing sunlight. It was stealing those very things that would make the crop healthy and yield the greatest amount of grain. They were truly the enemy of the good. They were the bad. They had to go. Their existence was counter to the intentions of good agricultural theory and effort. Of course, we're going to pull out the weeds 
Jesus does this so often, doesn't he? He turns our human logic, the way the world works, upside down for a reason, an an vitally important reason. So, against normal ag science, right, Jesus surprises his listeners with an idea counter to good farming when he says, no, we're going to allow those weeds to grow right up there with the wheat, all the way through to the end, all the way through. Not going to worry about it. We are to grow up together as children of the kingdom, good seed, wheat, right? Right alongside and as the life-giving element, I might add, in the field next to that, which is stealing life all around us. That's the imagery, right? The bad seed, the weeds. We are looking forward to the day of harvest, absolutely. In the meanwhile, how shall we then live? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Could Jesus actually be saying that we are to hang back when justice seems to demand action? Weed pulling, we are to allow them to remain when our logical, natural instinct tells us to activate ourselves politically, radically, racially, medically, morally, toward dealing with the wrongs that we clearly see and correcting them. Is that what we should be giving our lives to? Now, that's a complicated question with a very complicated answer, and I know that. But let's take this parable at face value. Could Jesus actually be saying that we are to take up a different posture than we've thought? There is damage that can be done to the wheat, Jesus said, that is, to the purpose of Jesus in the lives of his true followers and in his world if we get this wrong. And I'd like to suggest that some of this damage is self-inflicted on our part. And that's where I want you to get honest with yourselves today. If we place our efforts at ending the lives of people we deem as harmful, clearly problematic. If we commit our focus and efforts of refuting, standing against, or shutting up those outside the kingdom, that might be damaging. If we count our victory in terms of political or moral dominance in our society, okay, that's not what Jesus called us to. If we trust in Judeo-Christian ethics or the idea of a Christian nation and invest in rooting out anything that stands in opposition to it, The kingdom message, the eternal nature of our kingdom citizenship is lost. Now that's strong, and I'm among a group of patriots, and I get that. And I'm with you in that. But let's be clear on the teachings of Jesus. He was radical and not connected to any government. So understand we have to have ears to hear. What will we have? Who will we be if we divert our attention in that direction? Jesus, so then, countering this, makes it clear that we are, in fact, to simply live among the weeds while both grow up in what may appear to be a very healthy condition for both, but is probably, it would seem obvious perhaps, harmful to the flourishing of both. It defies logic in some ways. Sometimes it might even seem that the weeds are overtaking the grain. This is when we panic, right? This is when we create so much inner turmoil and even fearfulness that we lash out in self-protection. And that's kind of our mode these days. It is, it is that moment in time when we must take Jesus' words to heart, live among them, grow up with them, leave their future to me, Jesus says in this story. So what does it look like in real life to live in a way that Jesus is offering to us according to this parable? It is, I wonder, is it really our life, testimony, love, and example that will distinguish between the wheat and the weeds in the end? The preaching of the gospel, and if necessary, with words. One thing is certain, it will not be our determined effort to invade enemy territory with knives out. 
I know that for sure. Significantly, this parable clarifies specifically that this is not our job. This parable makes clear that others have been assigned that job, not us. When will judgment come? Not now, but later. And who will be those judges? Not us, but angels. Interesting. This is powerful stuff. It changes our perspective entirely. This goes to the core definition of what it means to be faithful as believers in the world while we are still breathing, right? We, so, the, so the question we need to bring and maybe right here to home is, have we mistaken our role in these days? We have taken on the role of judge. We have taken on the role of knife-wielding executioners, of false teachers and moral reprobates. We have even lowered ourselves to value the humanly devised political and legislative tools to do what is only a divine work. And I'm among the older people here in this gathering. I've been through enough election cycles to know that the political legislative thing is just cyclical. You might like what's happening right now. You might hate what's happening right now. The one thing I can guarantee you is that it's going to change at some future presidential election cycle. We do not rely on it. Otherwise, we'd be foolish. So explaining the meaning of the allegorical parable, Jesus makes it clear. The personnel, cutting out the weeds is the job of the angels. The timing, an unknown future, so releasing us from worry now. The nature of that work, it will be spiritual, invisible, supernatural activity, not an activity of our current day, visible interaction with the world. So, having said all that, there is a lot aggravating us right now. And I'm with you. I'm exhausted by it. And there's many emotions around it, and I know that. There's plenty for us to be fearful of, to be angry about, to debate and correct and stand against. And all of that is judgment behaviors. And Jesus would hear and now say to us, do not be tempted by any of those postures. Instead, live among them. Grow up together grow up together at a time when everything that's happening is separating us, we have to make concerted efforts to be together. And it won't be like on a massive social scale. It will probably more look like you and your neighbor. Oh, well, now there's a theme in the Bible. (laughs) Very consistent stuff here, isn't it? So, Hear now, if you are one of his disciples, the truth of Jesus' teaching in this parable. Grow up alongside and with and among people who may never hear. They may never hear, but still we're growing up together with them. Uh, So how? What does this look like in real life? We do not have an accurate understanding or clarity of vision or purity of heart when it comes to judging the righteousness in ourselves much less in the heart of another human being, right? So let's be careful about that. We so need to focus on our own struggle as seeds of the kingdom, and and we need to worry about our own righteousness, don't we? We do not have room to spend energy judging others who are on their journey and happen to be planted around us. So Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's our focus. So will you seek his kingdom? His kingdom, not the earthly nation state? And will you seek to own, to, to own your own unrighteousness as opposed to finding and picking at the unrighteousness you see in others? Seek his righteousness 
Or will you choose to give your life to judging the heart and behavior of others around you and calling them out for it and eliminating any possibility of giving a positive, gracious gospel influence you might have had? Oh, there's so many things that I could go off on on this, but I won't. That's why I have notes for part of the reason. <laughs> so here we are, right? Um, we're choosing to not give ourselves to pulling out weeds, all right? But what's that actually going to look like? So we as evangelical believers need to change our perspective, our words, behavior as we're living among the weeds. So here's, if you're taking notes, number one, we live neck deep in the weeds. That's a given. We don't even have to comment on that. It's life's condition. It always has been, by the way. What is new for us is the idea that this condition is by God's design and preference in a sin-soaked world. That in fact, this is part of what he wants to happen. Well, that, that's what this parable would imply. So we're not all of a sudden deeper than ever. I feel like I'm aging quickly whenever I say that. This is the worst ever. Jesus is surely coming back tomorrow. Anybody with me on that? Okay, yeah. Which, come Lord Jesus, right? So here we are living neck deep. We're going to be intentional. We're going to submit to his lordship during this kingdom building season. And it, and it necessitates that we do, right? As we live in the weeds. So here we are. We live neck deep in the weeds. Perfect. It's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Okay, number two. The weeds are actually people. Let's cease fighting what God has ordered. I want you to picture yourself as one of the servants in Jesus' story who asked, shall we go remove the weeds? In other words, shall we set ourselves against those people? Shall we fight these conditions of life? Is it our responsibility as faithful servants to change the conditions in the field? And Jesus' answer, no, 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 and no. Grow up with them. Why? Because they're people. They're actually people, these weeds. And Jesus is for people. We clearly do not want to find ourselves toe-to-toe with the Lord of the harvest against people. And by the way, weedy people in particular, interestingly enough. So will we stop fighting? Will we against the people? What is the right way to live and grow among them? Are we willing to admit that we don't know who is who, who is wheat and who is weed? Can we be humble enough in our own heart to hope that, man, I think I'm wheat, but I'm going to go ahead and be humble enough to be surprised when I find out that, yes, I am wheat, when he gathers the bundles together, right? Um, And so if we claim to be wheat, how we treat weeds is going to reveal the veracity of our claim. So cease fighting what God has ordered. Number three, Weed, yeah, yeah, okay, so weeds are people, okay? Number three, weed removal is not gospel living. I'm going to get argument and pushback on this point. I know that I am, and that's okay. We can keep talking this through and figuring it out because it's going to take some time. Weed removal is not gospel living. This is where it comes in on that whole idea of speak the truth in love, right? And, and, and full of grace and truth. And, and for us as evangelicals, as a group, oftentimes we'll we'll automatically come back to truth first and we end up doing a lot of beating people up with it. Weed removal is not gospel living. We are not here to mix the metaphors in order to clean house. Our perception of weed life is that it stands against prevailing Christian cultural moral norms. And while that may or may not be so, our belief has become, at least in part, that faithful living as wheat is telling the ugly truth to weeds. After all, if we don't, who will? And when it's done in a public setting, 
It can never work. They don't have ears to hear. But maybe when it's done in a one-on-one, trusting, loving your neighbor relationship, then maybe so, in time. It's a complicated thing, but you know right now that there are no ears to hear. We are the enemy right now, and it's going to be even more accentuated since the passing of Justice Ginsburg. More accentuated than ever in these last 40-some days before the election. All hell is going to break loose in these next 40 days. You understand that. And every form of lie will be spoken by all sides. And who will we be in this context? Weed removal is not gospel living. We have an incredible challenge to us here. Number four, we are not the moral authority. We see ourselves as the righteous ones and all others as the unrighteous. That's not up to me. In fact, I know myself way too well, and I've been way too honest, and I'm grateful for it. That we, We've celebrated today. He came to save sinners. And if Paul said, I'm the worst, then what does that let make me? Let's see ourselves as sinners, not the moral authority. There's an awful lot of this stuff we don't even get. We don't know what it means for what the Bible said for us to live it out today in 21st century America. So anyway, when we seek out, what I want you to do is, is, is <laughs> I had this image of a brick wall in my backyard and I want to connect to my neighbor, but you know, really what I want to do is kind of see the sin more clearly as I peer through the fence, but it's more like a brick wall and, I, and it's my sin that's been built brick upon brick and I have to jump over my brick wall somehow ignoring my brick wall so that I can see what's wrong with my neighbor and make sure that I can gossip and criticize my neighbor's unrighteousness. It's kind of an image of the way that I've lived some of my life. No more. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm not the moral authority. We'll be more likely to see people as image bearers of God with all the same ability that we have to glorify God in our existence together if we will grow up together and see our commonness with each other is in fact that broken sinfulness. It binds every image bearer to every other image bearer. Number five, the weeds are not the enemy. The weeds are not the enemy. This could be revolutionary for your heart and your mind and your eyes and deeply felt emotions. Imagine the daily peace within you when you are no longer angered at your enemies, but instead see them as your neighbors whom you love fellow growers in a fragile life. Who did Jesus name as the enemy? Satan. Satan's the enemy. The devil is the enemy. Could he be any clearer? People are not the enemy. The weeds are not the enemy, and the weeds are people, and people are not the enemy. In Jesus' story, of course, it was Satan who sowed the weed seed in the good field after the good seed, the wheat seed had already been sown, and the devil is the enemy. Never allow yourself again to see another human being, I don't care how they're acting or what they're saying or how much power they have or how they're refuting everything you believe in, never again allow yourself to see them as the enemy because there's someone behind them. And you and I know who that is. Number six, finally. We, in all of this, having said all of this, we can grow up in peace. When I think of a wheat field, 
I think peace. I feel peace, actually. Have you ever, you know, I got to ask this, especially when I'm in the Bay Area or like city of Sacramento. Have any of you ever seen a wheat field? Like actually with your own eyes, not in a movie or on TV or in a dictionary. A wheat field. It is a young wheat field, right? A green wheat field. It's like as far as the eye can see. And it's, it's young and it's sprouting and it's straight. And yet the breeze, just the slightest breeze, blows through it. And you can almost watch the track of the wind coursing through the... It's like the most peaceful thing I've ever observed in my life. We can grow up in peace because we're like wheat growing up. And here's what's interesting is that even as weeds grow up together, they're in the same breeze. He's raining on the just and the unjust. He's shining his sun on both, right? They all have their feet, their roots in the same dirt, the same soil and being nurtured and nourished. So I've seen so much anger and vitriol dished out by so-called Christians during this election cycle, this virus response, this race-related tension, and it's absolutely unnecessary in light of who God is and what he has planned for those of us that claim him by his name. When we live at peace, we create a scenario in which establishing our reputation for respect and love among the weeds nearest us is actually possible. Living among the weeds means we will respect their right to exist, believe, flourish as much as ours, even if they don't share our faith. And we will do it from a place of pure peace. And here's why we can. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's preach the gospel to ourselves one more time. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, period, to quote politicians of our day and newscasters and, right, period. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us, and it all started with the peace that is ours through Jesus Christ. Wow, we have, we're not longing for it, we're not seeking it, we're not hoping, stop praying to receive it. It's already yours. We have peace in the weeds because we have peace with God. That is a strong posture of peace. We are so secure that we can operate like no other group of people on earth. Like no other group of people in the United States of America. We can operate out of peace. Why don't we? We are so secure. We don't need to fear friends, anger does not befit us. We have a master farmer, and uh, he has the harvest in mind, and he knows where he's going now. As I close to him to do something I've never done before, um, but I want to do it with you. Uh, I want to offer you an exercise in practicing the presence of God in your daily living, okay? Um, I'm going to walk you through it, and then you can use it any time during any day from now on when you find yourself slipping away from that place of peace in which the Lord 
of the harvest has planted you. He's given it to you. Anytime those sneaking feelings of anxiety or frustration or animosity or anger or fear, that exhaustion, right, creeps in up to strangle your peace, still peace is yours if you choose to abide in it. So this is an exercise in abiding in the vine. Call it that. If closing your eyes would help right now, I invite you to close your eyes. I want you to picture yourself as one stalk of wheat, one strand, one seedling growing up in a massive spreading to the horizon field of wheat like I described earlier. Okay, so set yourself at peace here for a moment and just imagine that you are that literal strand of wheat growing up in this massive wheat field. It's young and it's green and it's growing in its season. Can you, can you for a moment sense the peacefulness of that picture? The sun is bright. The clouds are, are blowing by and shading you from time to time. There's a warm breeze blowing and you bend in that breeze, but only slightly back and forth as the breeze weaves its way through you and the rest of the strands of wheat growing all right alongside you. The expansive field of young, strong wheat looks like waves and tides of ocean water under the power of a good creator. I want you to take the time there. Eyes closed if you must. You think this is a weird exercise I'm walking you through? This is the way we, we must calm ourselves, especially in our day. Take the time to feel the sun warming and nourishing you. It's so good to be outside worshiping right now. You can feel the moisture in the rich, dark, savory soil into which you're sending your roots as deeply as you can reach for more life from the Master. This is a place of peace and health and life and growth, and you abide here in peace while the Master Farmer nurtures you through every season, spring, summer, fall, into the celebration of harvest. Here, right here, is where Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, has invited you to rest while you grow. To cultivate faithfulness. Stay in that peaceful place, growing. And now simply turn in your mind's eye and notice that all along, growing amidst all your fellow wheat seedlings, weeds are also growing all around you. Nothing else has changed. Not your condition as wheat. Not your identity as wheat. Not your security. You're wheat. The master farmer is still in charge and he knows exactly what he's doing and the sun shines on the wheat and the weeds and the rain waters the weeds and the wheat and he's designed and empowered that you dwell in peace as wheat neck deep in these weeds. Stay there for just a moment longer. Wonder now as you bow gently in the breeze and under the warmth of the sun, how much would change in life if you viewed our shared existence with weeds from this place of strength and peace, of health and life, of the sovereignty of God, of the finished work of Christ, and of even more confirmed hope concerning the certain future love and bounty of harvest. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you speaking to you as those who bear your image. Father, make us become a peaceful people. Give to us enough days of peace in a row that we would rightfully possess a reputation as peaceful people. 
as lovers of neighbor, as lovers of our formerly misperceived enemies. Might we, Father, find so great a peace in a daily way, as wheat blowing in the field, under your perfect care, that we could approach uh, our, our current day life in the weeds with a smile on our face. More than that, a, a smile on our heart. And may we bring peace where there is division. So, Father, thank you for the reminder um, from one of your followers, John. It's from chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the name of the one who said these words, Jesus, amen.